time now for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by the one, the only, Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, <laughs> who takes a look back every Thursday at This Week in History. Good morning. Well, How are you? Good morning, Aaron. It's a good morning always uh, to be here and uh, to be on the front lines of history. Things happening. Um, but, see, you know, we look to history sometimes as much to find out uh, like, has this come before? Like, you know, we'll see things and like, oh, this has never happened before. Like, eh, I don't know Usually about that. It, it actually happened eight months ago, and we <laughs> yeah. just have very short attention spans. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, when I think of the things that help define communities, it's the values that they have that they promote, whether it's inclusivity or diversity um, uh, or just the stance against something. Mm -hmm. And uh, this happened uh, this week in history, uh, on um, uh, January, I think it was 18th, um, in 1958, uh, the Ku Klux Klan held a rally down in Robeson County because they said, we're going to put those Indians in their place. Well, the Native Americans who were down there who didn't just say, well, we're going to be intimidated by fear, they went out. Now, there, so here's the Klan, and then they didn't realize there was a larger gathering in this darkness of Native Americans who said they were there to stand up uh, for uh, their families, uh, for their children, for their loved ones. And uh, so there was, uh, accounts are scattered as to what exactly happened next. Uh, some shots are fired. No one's actually killed, but they stood up and the uh, one of the people who from the Klan who had started this ends up being uh, uh, jailed for inciting a riot. So yeah. <laughs> it's one of those instances of saying, this is what communities stand for, uh, is to stand up and sometimes you speak out. When you talk about being on the front lines of history, which is yeah. a really good way of putting it, because A, all of us are always on the front That's line right. of history all the time. That's like right. the present is always the front line of history. But it also, like the historical things that we talk about today is happening like 10, 20, 50, oh, yeah. 100 years ago. It's very easy to talk about them and like write a few That's sentences right. or, or chat about them. But when they happened, they were really significant, tense, potentially violent, sometimes right. actually violent events. And, you know, we look back on them with a little bit more kind of fuzzy vision. But this was really well, this was a really intense thing for oh, people yeah. to stand up to hatred in that uh, in that way, it was—it's a, a hard thing for folks to do. It and, is, and yeah. it, 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 there is no denying that. At the same time, it's not like something you can always be prepared for and say, "Oh, I'm all ready to." No, it's just like when you see it, you recognize it and go, "No, that's not does not reflect our values, does not reflect our community," mm -hmm. and that's what I think is instinctive uh, in the human condition, and certainly uh, in our experience uh, as we see it, is people standing up. Ordinary folks. And we just uh, celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day a couple That's of days right. ago, and you often hear, like, just in the last couple of years with the racial justice protests, especially yes. in 2020 after George Floyd, uh, people on the right opposing them saying, oh, well, this is this got so violent, and Martin right. Luther King Jr. would have never stood up for that. You look back 50, 60 years, and you see right-wing folks in the 50s and 60s making literally exactly the same argument about Martin right. Luther King Jr. Oh, he says he's nonviolent, but he's really a <laughs> A harbinger of violence and blah 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 like it's the same exact arguments that just keep repeating themselves over and over in history and, you but know, you think I, about like how intense oh, yeah. it was in the 50s and 60s and, you know, that we is forget such an important that. point in what the movement that he kind of led and 
kept saying is to be nonviolent in resistance. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do, to stand up and say no, and at the same time be willing to put yourself at risk. Yeah, nonviolent Calmly. in resistance. That's right. Like, yeah. yeah, both that's, sides important. So, yep. and so I'm also reminded of a, of a couple of women this week who were born this week. One's Joy Adamson, um, who uh, was the person in... Born in 1910, she's the one we associate with Born Free, you know, either the the movie uh, who is in Africa with her husband and uh, saves lion cubs and becomes a conservationist that way. And another, of course, is Diane Fossey, uh, born in 1932, um, and then uh, goes on a trip uh, to Africa, gets uh, the bug of Africa and conservation, and actually it's Louis Leakey who... Uh, suggests you need to come over here and with your kind of interest in animals uh, and advocacy. And so she becomes this tremendously strong force uh, advocating for the gorillas in what is now Rwanda. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we remember those kind of people who, again, stood up for something and said, you know, our conservation of our natural resources, uh, and that means our fellow animals on this earth, uh, they deserve a voice too. Absolutely. Kudos to them. All right, now here's one that's a little funny, and it's just because it's about disruptive technology and what it led to. Uh, And uh, this fellow was born, I'm going to tell you his name in just a minute, because once you hear it, you go, oh, this guy, yeah, yeah, we know about him. (laughs) Um, He was uh, born in uh, 1901 in Utah to Italian immigrants, um, and then his parents... Uh, moved to Idaho, and then they moved to Los Angeles, and he has a brother who's operating a repair shop, and then they say, hey, maybe we should get into this ice business, because at this point, there weren't a lot of people who had a lot of electricity. Electricity was just making its arrival on the scene, and so people had refrigerators that were basically ice boxes, literally, where ice would be delivered. And so that seemed to be pretty good until electricity began to become more common, and refrigerators began, and then it's like, we're going out of business, so they opened a skating rink. All right, all's well, except that you get a lot of people skating on a rink. What happens? It builds up ice, and eventually you have to clear it. Ah. And so as he worked on this, <laughs> of course, first they said, well, there's got to be a different way, because if you pour water onto a rink and you refrigerate it, it can get ripples. So he developed a system uh, of pipes underneath the ice to me, le- least make it smooth, but it still didn't solve the problem of all the people skating and what do you do with all the shavings and the ice being all broken up. So it takes uh, 90 minutes and a five-man crew to get out there and to sweep and then lay down new water. He said there's got to be a different way. Everybody thought he was crazy, and this was in 1940. 1940 takes, uh, takes him nine years, and in 1949... Uh, he comes out with this invention, uh, another disruptive technology, to actually uh, take the shavings off the ice, uh, clean them, recycle them, put a new uh, layer of water down. It refreezes all in 15 minutes. His name is Frank Zamboni. <laughs> of course, we go, oh, Zamboni, is that a, a submarine sandwich you eat? I want a Zamboni. No, it's something that... I mean, I bet if you go to Subway and order a Zamboni, they figure right. out how to make you something. That's right. We've probably seen it either at hockey games or at the Olympics where they use this, all because somebody said, gee, and he was first kind of put out of business by uh, the refrigerator, and then he says, 
well, maybe there's something else I can do, and he like uh, ends up having a disruptive technology. And it takes is... nine years to put the to put the thing together, but five of those years were World War II, so he's probably a little <laughs> bit distracted I, I for part of so. that time, yes, I would Exactly, think. exactly. That's Speaking right. Speaking with uh, Scott Washington, History Matters, uh, two more. What do we got? Okay. Uh, well, this one is uh, happens on uh, going back to colonial times, um, and it's in uh, 17... Oh, 1786, um, and uh, it, the in fact, it's a day that usually is celebrated um, on uh, January 16th every year uh, because that's when the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom was uh, became part of Virginia's uh, uh, part of their Virginia's statutes. Uh, but it also becomes the foundation for the First Amendment. Mm. And the reason I mention this is because about tolerance. You know, this is unusual. Like I always would always say in Hillsborough when I was over there, uh, that, you know, people would quietly go and worship however they wanted. There weren't gunshots. There weren't, you know, people pointing and saying there's only one way. It, that's something that really defines America is that freedom of conscience and to be able to have not only the freedom of worship, but the freedom of conscience that allows you to speak up quietly and say, you know, I have a different idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good thing. That's an, another really important one. Um, and then uh, there was one case that came up this week. Oh, well, we talked about World War II. We just mentioned it, and I thought this was kind of an interesting one. January 18th, 1943, a decision is made uh, there will be no more sliced bread until the end of the war. So I don't know if that drove the end of the war, but <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was taking too much time and uh, precious uh, resources were being taken away. Eisenhower quit dilly-dallying. We right. need our sliced bread we, back. We, no, they, they said okay. we have got more important things to do and also just the machinery involved in the war effort. Uh, but people made those sacrifices. Coffee was another thing that was yep. rationed. People, when they get together and said, we have common values, these are worth supporting, not, not simply sliced bread or coffee, but the big issues of inclusivity and diversity and advocacy for the environment. These are important things that help define a community and make it a place that we want to call home. And that's how history matters. Scott Washington, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. Aaron.